Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're welcoming a good friend to the show today, Roger Liu. Roger is a partner at Impact Engine, a venture capital and private equity firm, investing in companies driving positive impact in economic empowerment, education, environmental sustainability, and health. Roger has a long history leading technical teams at multiple startup companies based in Chicago. He's most recently served as the Chief Technology Officer at ShopRunner. His tenure involved building a brand new company and technology leadership team and the relocation of headquarters to Chicago. Prior to ShopRunner, he was a Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer for Orbitz Worldwide. Roger joined Orbitz in 2000 as a startup's Vice President of Technology. As the company's fifth employee, he led the team that built the original technological infrastructure for the official launch of Orbitz.com in June of 2001. Roger studied math and computer science at the University of Chicago. Welcome to the show, Roger. Glad to be here. So, Roger, if you don't mind, uh, we'd love to know a little bit more about uh, your background and Impact Engine. So, uh, tell us what's going on there. Yeah, so it's a different type of venture. I, so I work on the venture capital side, and uh, we invest in early stage companies who are building things that help improve the world. It's in the category of impact investing, and so the idea is that you can make money and do good at the same time. Hmm. And so for me, it was kind of a late discovery that this thing existed. And now that I've been doing this for a while, I'm like, how come every company doesn't do this? Do this. Like uh, from like a do good and like, because there's a lot of conversations right now around like uh, stakeholders, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to like uh, um, strategy and vision for organizations. Is that what you're talking about? Like more of a holistic approach of like uh, who benefits from the organization, not just from a profit center standpoint? Yeah, I think that's a dimension. You know, the, the companies we invest in, they're building products where like the product itself has the benefit embedded. So in each of the spaces, I mean, some of them are, more easily understandable. So the education companies, obviously, you know, that should be a benefit to the stakeholder, the users of the product. I think we actually look at it on three dimensions. We look for scale, effectiveness, as well as access. And so one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is ensuring that the products kind of help level the playing field hmm. and give everybody the opportunity to get the education they deserve. Interesting. There was a, I thought in the light of Slack uh, being purchased by Salesforce, there was a, I thought a pretty interesting article in Wall Street Journal about why that had to happen. Uh, And I'd love to get your perspective on that. I think, did it have to happen? Yeah. That's it. Like their contention is simply that, you know, they can't stand alone in the technological, you know, warfare, like trying to go up, not go up against teams because I think that's an unfair way to phrase it, but like in that competition for with teams, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the only people who are happy using Teams are people who've never used Slack. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I am intrigued about orbits, right? It's interesting to think that that is twenty years ago, right? 
You know what I mean? You're not supposed to remind me of that. No, it's awesome. I mean, it's super impressive when you think about like, I bought a ticket to go to Spain in 1997 by going somewhere and they would fill out a piece of paper and hand it to me in a folder. Yeah. Something like this. Exactly. Like, and like, you know, now the best part was the, I was late and the, uh, the, the travel agent was able to backdate the ticket to save me a couple hundred (laughs) bucks. That does not exist anymore. No. And there's there's a lot of technology out there that makes sure that the travel agent would get charged for that now, and that's 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 you know why or, <laughs> orbits must die. You got to get back to the least efficient model. And well, uh, you know, so- it's funny that you mentioned orbits twenty years ago. Um, you know, at the time, it was funny when I was pitched the job. So you know, it didn't exist. We weren't even called orbits. The brand didn't actually exist. I think our code name was Dunk, D U N C. You know, very clever. It was Delta United Northwest mm. and Continental. Wow. And then uh, later, American joined, came on board, and, you know, the brilliant marketers came up with Can Do, had to A. Um, the funny thing about it is, like, all of us who were early in that, like, I think you mentioned I was the fifth employee, like, we knew nothing about travel except for that we were like, it's terrible and that it was really hard to find tickets. And I think part of, what was fun was that we were like, oh yeah, everybody who came before us, they didn't know what they were doing. And so there was a lot of just sort of experimentation and failure and, you know, like people telling you you couldn't do that. And the more people who told you you couldn't do that, the more you were like, yeah, we're going to prove them wrong. And I think most of the time they were right, but there were just a couple things that we were able to do, which is like that we persevered. And so I think that was part of what we made it fun was like, you know, before we even launched, there were people who were like filing lawsuits. Mm. Expedia, I think, had sued us uh, to prevent us from launching. And so we were like, well, we must have something good if they don't even want us to get out of the gate. So that was fun. That was that was like really unique and special experience. That's awesome. And before that, you had started your own company. So they hired you away, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, was, I think I was consulting. I mean, I was doing right. various... We were building websites for people like, and this is the the kind of thing you tell your team, like to remind them of how old you are. And I was like, I built the first cars.com. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean the first? And I was like, that means it didn't exist before I showed up. <laughs> and then um, there wasn't one. And then there was, there was one. Right. And then the other project that my friends used to make fun of me for was uh, I was the lead on Victoria's Secret dot com and that you know to like juvenile humor that sounds like incredibly exotic but i spent the summer in columbus ohio (laughs) i think like many people in like uh 98 99 we tried to build like a food ordering app okay for easily seven years after that the word toppings would just set me off (laughs) i never wanted to talk about toppings ever again so like if anybody used the word toppings, they're like, I wanted to do them physical harm where it's like, especially with when, in regards to pizzas, writing software around the variations of pizza is insane. Right. Especially on ASP back in like 98. Right. Like it was not, it was not a fun, you know, adventure, but uh, people don't seem to understand sometimes that like, you know, a lot of what you do and what 
technologists do, you know, it's really the context of like, it's, you know, like what it is or what you're selling is, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but it's just not the most important thing, right? You put a lot of the stuff in the different boxes. Like it, it's a product that we send, right? It's something, it's, it's something that's either retail or it's something that currently sits on a shelf or in some other fashion, but it's, it's not like, you know, you're really digging into like, you know, whether or not you're selling shoes, selling books, selling whatever, right? Tickets, right? Whether it's tickets or, or Victoria's Secret, right? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely, um, you know, that aspect of commerce. I mean, this is like the Amazon story, right? How do you go from books to like selling everything, becoming the biggest store? I guess, you know, e-commerce as a category, I always find it humorous when people are like, you know, I'm a specialist in e-commerce. And I'm like, does that mean you're good at marketing? or you know demand generation or supply chain because because i think at, at the end of the day you know what makes me excited about these things like why it was interesting for me to go work on orbits was that it was a problem like i felt like there was a problem to be solved mm. like buying a ticket was painful before orbits when you did a flight search you'd get 10 results and if you wanted 10 more results you'd have to hit next You'd wait a little bit, you'd get 10 more results. And so for us, this like making a bet on this technology that we could return like 200 flight results at once was like this, the people in the industry were like, you can't be done. Like it's not possible to do it. And so I think that was, that problem was a lot of fun. And the other, the other thing was just like, at the time there weren't a lot of kind of big websites. And there weren't a lot of big websites like that UPS commercial where, you know, you launch your product and then like all of a sudden demand is there. <laughs> Wait, um, the money just starts flowing in, right? Yeah. And, and actually we had that because of all these lawsuits. Mm. And, you know, so day one, you know, we had all the typical problems. I think, you know, the call center wait times were like three hours, that kind of stuff you know, servers are probably falling over. And, you know, we actually had our own servers back then. And so it was, it was kind of, but, you know, over time you, you, you find all these different problems that you want to go solve. And, and I think actually that's a lot of, honestly, that's kind of what's driven my career. It's like, is this an interesting problem? You know, let's go try to solve that. Interesting. So, uh, you know, shop runner just got bought, as you know, how does that feel? I guess when, when you're doing something like that and you get to that level of success and, and you're, you're now, I, don't know, I guess I wanted to use the word separating from it. Is that a fair word to use? <laughs> I, I mean, like I, I left ShopRunner um, actually probably two or three years ago. Okay. I'm an advisor to ShopRunner. Right. Like a lot of my friends still work there. The team that sold to FedEx, like a lot of people I've recruited uh, to go work there. And Sam, the CEO, he's the one who recruited me to go work there. And so, you know, I get to bask in like their success. I've been an advisor to the CTO pretty much. You know, we talk every week. So it's fun. It's fun to see them, you know, have a successful outcome. And, and I think it's in, in the one hand, you're like, well, we were expecting to be this huge thing. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it, it wasn't kind of like a crash and burn. So it was like kind of nice. And and now that team gets to continue to have actually probably bigger impact. Like I think being part of FedEx allows them to expand their reach a lot. 
I guess one of the things that, you know, with your perspective and the things that you see, like what is your perception of 2021, 2022, right? What does that near future look like? Are, are you optimistic about it or, you know, I think it's safe to say, you know, from our conversation before I can count on you being blunt and honest. So I'm, <laughs> I'd love for you to share your perspective on, you know, it's interesting. There's so many people who think like, oh yeah, uh, 2021's over, COVID's over. It's like, I don't think COVID's aware. I don't think they've got like a stockpile of uh, days off that is like loser, user kind of thing. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's kind of irrelevant, but there's some mind, I, I feel this mental mindset of like, oh, as soon as we hit 2021, everything's going like, to fix itself. So I don't know. I'll, I'll stop talking. I, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question. I'm an optimist. I don't think you can be a startup person. I mean, I consider myself a startup guy. You can't start a company if you're like a pessimist. There's just too many things that can go wrong. And you wouldn't invest in startups if you were like, a, uh, you know, because there's, there's an ugly side to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the idea is that you need to see through that to like, do I believe in the vision? Do I share that vision to get there? You know, I think for all the challenges 2020 has been, I think for me, it's like, how do you not get buried in that? Like, how do you still see like the bright spots? And so, you know, if you just look at like, well, remote working, it turns out we're all pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> most of us, unless you work for JP Morgan. I don't get that. This is a, this uh, yeah, the, the CEO of, of JP Morgan, I think at some point had said like, yeah, we're just not as efficient. Oh, interesting. Working. And then, you know, I'm like, well, I guess it tells you about what they do. Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. But but I I think just, you know, what's next? I think, you know, we've learned some stuff about how we work. Um, hopefully there'll be some awareness of um, that there's kind of these big inequities in our society. Because I think this is the thing that strikes me is like, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, you know, it sucks. We can't go on vacation. You, you know, our kids are remote schooling, but you know, they're surviving. But then there's like people going hungry, people losing their jobs, you know, a lot of people are dying. And I and I think it's really easy to um to just kind of get detached from that. Like this becomes statistics. And so, you know, the optimist in me is like, well maybe this is like the big moment that we can like make the big changes we need to make. That's great. Even just uh, you mentioned the remote education of like you you know the most needy are going to get the least, right? And it's just mm-hmm. they're whatever little they were already getting, they're getting even less now, right? Yeah. So it's like that that divide between having some balance in in our economy and, and in the way that people are treated and the opportunities that they're they're presented. And I don't know, it's a grave concern, not just at the individual level, but also from like a, a societal level of, you know, we need right from our country being competitive and successful and healthy we need more people to be engaged in these types of things and and i just see like we're we're it's going to take years to recover educationally and from like a you know a capability standpoint uh from what's going on right now and maybe this is a little self-serving is like maybe we'll be more open to innovation like you know maybe there'll be more experimentation or maybe there'll be more um different ways of teaching because I think speaking to some teachers, you know, what we invest in, in ed tech companies and just speaking to some teachers in the front line is like, 
the irony of this is like for the last 10 years, we've been learning new ways to teach. And even when we teach in person, we're like back to the old fashioned, everybody stay at their desk, you know, we're all lined up in rows. So, so I think it is maybe these disruptions are opportunities. I mean, I, I guess that's the, that's the ultimate takeaway, right? Is that optimist is like any type, there's like any kind of big change, you know, it opens up opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. The table, the table's been flipped. The puzzle pieces are on the floor. It's time to put it all back right. together again. Exactly. And yes, your optimism has shown through it, even in this case. <laughs> and I do think that's a, it's an interesting, you know, there's a, a, a conflict there of like, Engineers are great because they can spot problems, right? Yeah, and then but they can fix problems. They can it's fix like spot problems, right? I, I, I get mean, it. Like the it the that's the key, though, the, right? The ones that instead of like just the spotter of problems, and I think if you've ever been on any kind of dev team, there's always, you know, like the guy from Aliens, like it's all over, man, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, okay, so it we're not gonna die. We're gonna drink some coffee and we're gonna figure it out. So. You know, I guess that's one of the questions I have is like, you know, having been and you're an optimist and is it, were you always an optimist? Is that like something like you've carried with you the whole time that like you just, you know, because I do see like there's, it's almost like, you know, especially when on the software side, there's almost a celebration of like, you know, the, the developers that see all the problems and like, I don't know, they're kind of uh, celebrated for it a little bit. You know, we talked about a little bit of a hubris, I think. I've been fortunate in that every like tech team I've been a part of or help lead, we always had this mindset of there's nothing we can't do. Like there's no problem we can't fix. There's no system we can't build. And so I think deep down, that's like an optimism, right? It's probably not true. I'm sure there are things that we can't build or fix or, but so far, you know, I think all the teams I've been involved in, I think we've seen it. And so maybe somebody has just mindset, like you just convince yourself, right? You hear about those people who like survive, like really crazy things is like some of it is belief. You know, I think you, you mentioned to me like the, the William Crystal or the general McChrystal book. I think there's some of that in there, like just sort of that often, like confidence that you can solve these problems. I'm curious, Roger, you've inspired so many people in the startup and the tech community. I'm curious who inspires you. That's a good question. I mean, I guess I don't know if I like embody a single person. I was actually just reading about, I think his name is, is it Chuck Freeney? There was a, a guy who, um, he was really kind of, he built a fortune doing duty-free shopping. Um, I think he was worth like $8 billion. And he's 89. And uh, he was in a news recently because he gave away his entire fortune. Wow. The goal was to give it all away before he dies. And uh, I think he's left at 2 million wow. to see him through to like, you know, however long he lives. And I think there's something like really inspirational about that, about how, you know, he, his motives are so pure because I don't think most people even knew he was doing it. Like a lot of that giving was anonymous at, be, at the beginning. So I find that really inspiring. I love the idea of uh, like that setting the vision because I think when people get, you know, you're trying to do transformation, 
and setting that vision of like where we're going, whether it's doing a startup or trying to make significant impact in an organization, it's you've got to set a vision of where we're going, right? And it's we're not here today. And, you know, we don't know how we're going to get there. That's what we hired you for, right? <laughs> so, the, yeah. you know, but I also think that's liberating to to people, you know, like the moonshot when Kenny's like, we're going to make it to the moon, right? Didn't have that technology at the time, but it gets people thinking differently, right? And and bigger and like, okay, so what if that is it? You know, this concept that uh, I've seen a number of times through going 10X is easier than doing 2X. Easier, easier to describe, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, in the 10X side, it's like 2X is like, oh, we just got to work a little bit harder, right? Mm-hmm. 10X is we got to create a different structure, right? Like this yeah, is not going to hold. I, I don't know, you know, famous, I guess, business thinker, Clayton Christensen, he, he invented disruption theory. And I think one of his, uh, he talks about sustaining innovation and disruptive innovation. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about is like the kind of, you know, the can't be done's or like the two crazy ideas. I think those are the ones that, that's like one class of innovation. And the other kind is, you know, this kind of sustaining innovation, which is like incremental, like each generation gets a little better. And, you know, ironically, like, I think both are effective, but they're pretty different. You know, they have different risk trade-offs. But if you look at like a company like Apple, I think they're actually, they're really good at this sustaining innovation. Like each generation is better than the previous one, even though that's not what people think about, right? Everybody's like, oh, you know, they like create all these brand new markets. But the reality is, is like a slowly steady march of like everything gets better and better. And occasionally you have these things like the, um, you know, the new chip, right? With the the new Apple Silicon. I think that, but if you look about that, it's like, that's like 13 years, right? Of innovation on their own proprietary CPUs. I mean, that's, I don't know if you're supposed to give like book recommendations, but like, I remember the first time I read um, Clayton Christensen's book, I was just like, Man, if someone had given me this like 10 years ago, I would have saved myself a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If there's a podcast episode that doesn't have at least one book reference, (laughs) I'd be shocked. Yeah. But I mean, this whole notion of like how disruptive innovation occurs, like it's like this spot on, like every company I've ever started has kind of followed this model. Interesting. Interesting. So, Roger, I know you're on a lot of advisory boards and, and uh, board of directors. Curious, I'm sure you're asked all the time. So how do you make your decisions uh, in terms of which companies you want to partner with? You know, it's, I'm not that busy, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, but, you do a podcast with us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she's got, he's got time for us. So clearly, there's a couple blocks in that calendar open. I think the, the real question is like, can you add value? You know, is it's like, is it something you can get excited about? You know, if you're, if you're, I think there's lots of like nonprofit board opportunities for people to be on. Um, a big part of that is like, you know, how can you be helpful? Like how, what do they not have that you being a part of can bring to the table? Cause I, I think there's actually a really great part about that type of work. It's very different than like, I think actually a lot of people have a hard time being on boards for the first time because what happens is like, you know, the reason you're on a board, the reason people ask you 
is you've been really successful, like being an executor more than likely. Like you're the CEO of a company, right? You know how to get stuff done. But being in a board role is very much like, you don't get to do that anymore. And you don't even get to tell people how to do it. And so I think it's, it's actually a very different, um, uses a very different part of your brain. But I think it's actually really like the fun part about being on boards is like you get to see like other people's problems, which help bring you out of your day to day. Like the first time I joined like some type of independent board was I had an opportunity to join like an advisory board for Target. And this is when I was at Orbitz. And, you know, you day to day, you're like everything, the sky is falling. You know, even I'm an optimist, it's like I have a lot of problems. But then this was like, I joined this board right after the, the big security breach at Target. Mm. And the quarterly meetings were so refreshing for me because every time I'd go, I'd be like, man, my problems are bad, but I'm not this bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about Oprah's TV shows. <laughs> she brings, I, it used to be, it's like, oh my goodness, why do you love this? Show? Why do people love this show? It's like, man, my life's hard, but look at this guy. You know? That's that's not Oprah. That's um, Jerry Springer. I know it was old Oprah during the that okay. whole time as they were like figuring out what they're doing. Yeah, new Oprah is way more op- uh, You know, uh, you know, aspirational, right? But yeah, the original Oprah was. It's like they were all vying for like the biggest modern version of freak show, right? <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the idea that like, hey, witnessing other people's problems puts context of your own problems, right? But it's also problems that. So you said you don't have, you don't get a say. But uh, having witnessed how some of these boards operate, you know, it's interesting how you can create influence and direction through questions instead of commands, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is to change the perspective, not so much give an edict about like, hey, you need to do X, Y, or Z, but more of like, have you considered, right? Which is really just an edict wrapped in a nice way to say it. <laughs> Certainly, we're capable of asking um, the leading questions, mm-hmm. but I also, yeah, I think the the eye opening moments are when, like somebody, like you really make them think, right? And it and it helps them either refine their strategy or change the direction of their strategy. Because you know, there's nothing more terrible than like a management team that just does whatever the board says. It's just like. You know, the only thing that you're trying out for is like, how quickly are we going to fire you? Right. Right. Um, actually, it's funny. It's, I just had this conversation this morning with a portfolio company. They just raised a new round and they were being very deferential to the new board member. And I'm like, this is not how it works. You already have the money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if, if, you're, if what they're suggesting is not going to let us to this, you know, the next stage, this is, you're not doing any of us favors, any of us any favors. It's, you know, that concept of finding, because the problem, big challenge with some of the CEOs is they live without a board, right? If you didn't have a board, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs live without anybody second guessing them. And they, they live in this world of unbridled, but unrealistic perspective around like how things are operating. When you ask them, you know, how do your customers feel about what you do? Like they love us. We're, we're perfect. It's like, have you asked them? Right. Like, <laughs> right. or you talk to them like, no, I just know. And it's like, so, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, there's some of that delusion that you need the CEO to have where it's like the CEO's got to be 
optimistic and, and absolutely confident that they're doing a great job. I think they have to have a secret room in their brain where they actually talk to themselves about what's really going on, right? But they've got to be able to ignore that room for a little while when they're talking, right? It's just how leadership requires that, right? But from a board standpoint, I, and I think everybody, regardless of what role you're in, you should have a board, right? Like everybody personally, I don't care where you're at in stage of your life, you should have people that are holding you accountable to the things that you said or challenging your ideas or your theories. And, you know, the idea that you wait to get to that level or practice being on a board for somebody else, uh, I think is, is a real missed opportunity of like having those types of friendships with people where it's like, Hey, I'd really like you to tell me where I'm wrong. Right. Or what, where my blind spot is. Cause that's really the, the purpose of the board is to augment whatever, isn't the strengths of the CEO, right? Obviously, protect mm-hmm. stakeholders and the shareholders, but also uh, to help them spot their blind spots, right? And like overcome challenges that they're not naturally, you know, if they came out of a more of a sales thing, you want an operational board, right? If they came out of more of operations, you want more of a sales marketing board or a finance board or whatever, you know, something that complements that person because that's, that's really it. It's like, if you got like, uh, this is a, all sales and sales, you know, operations is going to be, uh, you know, nobody's asking the hard questions about how are we actually delivering our goods or services. But uh, I do think I, I'd encourage everybody to like find your friends, find your folks, hold people, like ask them questions, right? And just be their their personal board for them professionally, you know? Uh, and I, I just, that, that's what I think, I think really would move the needle for a lot of people. I mean, I think that's, that's really good advice. And, and I think the difference, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion around coaching and finding coaching. Um, and I think the only real dynamic difference is what you're describing is like having different perspectives. Because, you know, you don't want, I think really talented leaders that I see, they'll take like feedback and they'll interpret it and they'll kind of mull it over and then come up with something. It's not just, you know, the, the ones that really frustrate me are like, whoever the most recent person they talk to, that's the new strategy. Right. And it's just like whiplash, right? It's like, depends on who answered your phone, you know, answered your phone when you called. So, so I think, it, I think that's a really excellent advice. You know, I think to the extent that we can structure those things that people can get access to that. I think that's, that's a good way to grow. So it, it leads into a question I know Shelly always asks. It's like, so where do you go for coaching? What is your, you know, it's obviously we all know that people who succeed, they're always looking for, you know, tips, tricks, shortcuts, right? Like somebody who's done it before instead of like taking it in the face each time, right? Yeah. Where it's like, so w- what are you doing to, to keep growing yourself and uh, have people hold you accountable? Oh, I mean, I, I have um, I have really great partners at Impact Engine. They're all brilliant. Um, they're all way smarter than me. So it's like it keeps you on your toes when you're surrounded by like, and, and I mean, you know, it's not just the kind of lip service. It's it's like the regular thing where, you, you know, you think about something and then you have a conversation and then it's like something comes out of it that you hadn't thought of. And I find that um, super helpful. On the technology side, like I said, you know, I have this group of people that I've worked with at multiple jobs. They still talk to me for some strange reason. <laughs> um, Roger, you're you're a smart guy and you're a likable guy, right? This this you know affable, I, 
right? Like, I can be shucks. really pedantic. <laughs> I can be really irritated. You know, this is like a technology conversation. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think I think that mix, um, and you know, you, I mentor quite a few people, and I get so much out of it. Like they teach me stuff all the time. They keep me fresh. They like they challenge me. You know, they ask me a hard question. I'm like, I have to like come on something. I got to get to Slack. <laughs> right. Or, or I have to like, you know, be thoughtful. I think when, when people surprise you and, you know, ask you things. And I think those people like, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. And I think being able to share that, like, oh, yeah, that's not new. Like everybody runs in that problem. Yeah. I think a common thing that I get is, you know, someone's in an interim role, like interim leadership role. And they're like, well, like an interim CTO seems to be ones that I keep meeting. And they're like, well, you know, how should I manage that? And I was like, you know, you need to act like this is your job. Mm-hmm. Like, forget the fact that interim exists. You need to make those changes. Um, you need to go hard at it. And that'll tell you, like, is this the right job for you? Or we're not. Because um, there's nothing kind of more frustrating than being a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, own it, own decisions you're going to make. You might not be successful, but that's okay. The truth of the matter is we're all interim. <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> a good phrase. Right. Not officially though. You know, oh yeah, officially. <laughs> and the second you don't think you're interim, you've become very much interim, right? You're yeah. the second you get comfortable about that. Hey, look, I just learned something. Now I'm the interim. I don't know what I am actually, interim partner. <laughs> yeah, honestly though like hey you know you showed up that day as the interim cto from 9 a.m to 5 p.m there's no interim on the day <laughs> yeah right like that's wh- really good feedback you know like, but are you surprised by that i mean i'm sure you've seen this where like some interim acts like an interim and you're like what's the yeah. point of this well and i see a lot of people who aren't even at the interim and not acting like they should be the interim right like yeah well not they're not going to give you the role you're going to take the role, right? Like nobody gives you things. You just show up and you suddenly own the property, right? Like, yeah, the, at some point they anoint you and give you the title, but like you're there way before you get the job, right? Mm-hmm. So like I was working with a good friend and he wanted, he's working to be CEO. And, and I'm like, look, CEO's role is three things, right? Big relationship, strategy, and culture, right? Those are three things you got to own. If you don't know what the relationships that the CEO owns right now, that is your goal to go figure it out. He's like, well, I'm, I don't want to step around. I'm like, then you won't win. Right. I'm not trying to be cruel, but like you got to have those relationships because it's going to be a seamless transition at that point. Like he's already here. Right. That person, she's already 70% into this role. So, you yeah. know, I think the the problem is waiting for permission is always going to cause you problems. Right. Like, you know, don't wait for permission, you know, execute right? Elevate. And that's the other part is like, tell me, uh, tell me a boss who doesn't want an employee that says, Hey, uh, I really want to grow. I'd love to have your position in four years. You know, what is the thing I can do to help you elevate to, right? Have that conversation, see what happens next. It turns into a partnership, right? Like I've had people say that to me, like, I'd like to have your role. Uh, I want you to, I'd like you to help me figure out what I need to grow and do and then take action. Right. So, you know, then it starts to become in there. You're already in their, their brain about like, Oh, this person wants it and wanting it right is critical. 
getting it, understanding it is important. Having the capacity to do it is also just as important, but that wanted components crucial, right? Like, cause there's plenty of people we all know that have the capacity, they have, they get it, but they don't mm-hmm. want it. Right. And like, then, then you're the big mistake in those scenarios, you elevate somebody who doesn't want it. And then, then they're not, they're in them by, by like, by mandate, not that they wanted the role, but it's like, oh, I feel like if I don't take it, I'll look unambitious. And it's like, there's nothing unambitious with being happy, right? Like if, if you're satisfied being an architect, be an architect, be the best architect in the world, right? Nobody says you got to be a director or VP or some other thing. That's not where you want to be. Choose your life. You know, I think I agree with that. I, I think I would just add to it that I think one of the things we've learned about different work styles is that some people need to be given permission yeah. to take, like they need that first step for you as a leader to say like, it's okay to want more. It's okay to ask for these things. And I think a lot of that comes from like our gender norms. You know, I think we've all seen this where like, you know, there's an open opportunity and the number of guys who are like, I think I'm totally qualified for this because I checked this one box out of the eight requirements. Right. I'm more than ready. Yeah. And then I think on the converse side, I've had lots of, um, you know, female leaders in my team who we've asked, like, here's an opportunity. You should take advantage of this. And they look at the list and they're like, oh, I only do seven of the eight. Right. There's one box not checked. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the judge of who's ready. Yeah, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I didn't think you were ready. And, and so I think, I think we just need different styles to find those people who, you know, can take those opportunities. And actually, this reminds me of like the only original kind of thought, I, this feels original to me, is like a lot of times I talk to CTOs and, or like people who want to be CTOs. And, and I think one of the conversations they have is like, well, how, how do I know I'm doing a good job? And I was like, I think the best way to know if you're a good CTO is after you're gone, who replaces you? Because if the successor, if your successor is someone in your team, that means you did a good job. And I say that because, you know, that means like the team was comfortable with the direction you're going. No change is needed. But if you're hiring from the outside, that means by definition, you weren't doing a good job. You didn't create leaders. Right? They wanted something different. Yeah. They need something different. Interesting. And I, and I actually stumbled on this when I, real, when I was like, I think some friends of mine, we were just commiserating about how all the job opportunities seem to be turnaround opportunities. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because like, if things were going well, they wouldn't need to hire from the outside. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I had somebody I was talking to, he's like, I'm looking for a CEO position and I'd like it so they have a good culture. They've got this kind of this, that. I'm like, who's going to leave that job? Exactly. Right? Like, uh, the line for that job is down the street and around the corner, right? Like, Yeah. They're all terrible, right? It's, it's your opportunity to make it not terrible. You know, the, the, the job of the head coach of the Patriots is taken and probably not going to be open. <laughs> but if you open for the Bears, the Bears are available. So is Cleveland. Right, you're going to have a shot at those two organizations, no problem. You know, it's actually Cleveland's good now, right? They are, they are, and I'm excited about that because I, I, I'm happy for them. I'd like to be happy for me too, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. (laughs) The math there is terrible. So, this is the beauty of being a Chicagoan. 
is that you always, you know, no matter how high the highs are, there's always the bears. <laughs> wow. Wow. You are not a Bears fan, I'm assuming, because that seemed a little uh, no, I am a Bears, that seemed I'm a Bears fan because I was a person earlier in the year who was like, there are no bad 5-0 and teams. And apparently there are. Apparently there are. <laughs> Especially when it should have been best case 2-3 and three team. But apparently that guy in Detroit can't catch. So... But yeah, it's uh, anyway. So, but I, I agree. They're all turnaround jobs, and like that should be what you're looking for because that's where you have impact, right? You want to go road test yourself, you know, like put yourself in the swamp, see if you can get out, right? But I, I do hear you on the the cultural norms and some of those challenges around, like you know what I had said about you know asking for things. I also think leaders should be, you know, aware that there are. And it's and not just along gender norms, but also like different personality types of like, you know, especially in engineering, uh, like on a disc profile, you're not going to find a lot of D's, right? You're not going to yeah. find a lot of I's. You you will find a lot of like C's. People who are very careful and accurate, and they double check things, and they want to make sure that they're getting the answer right. And the idea of like I'm going to extend myself in a way that uh, exposes risk is not a natural behavior for them. Um, so. Yeah. But I do think good leaders recognize that and understand like that that's something that they have to develop in that person, right? For them to become, if they want to, right? If that's what they want. And again, there's nothing wrong with being the greatest, whatever makes you happy, whatever gives you balance in your life, right? Like you can make a lot of money doing a lot of things, but like, just be happy, be satisfied, be confident about like what you do. Like, there's no reason everybody's got to go out, go out and make themselves. So, you know, that whole Peter principle kicks in where it's like, oh, you got risen to the level of your own incompetence. Why do we do that? You know, and why is that something that we continue to do even after we recognize that that is a challenge of like, why aren't we letting people, you know, just stay where they are if, if that's where they want to be or, you know, and part of it is to make clear what does the new role require, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want to do that, it's, it, it's great to tell you know, the spouse or your family that like, Oh, I got a promotion. It's like, are you sure you want that job though? Cause like maybe you don't. And, and again, I, I do think there's a stigma of like, you know, you should want this to like this other elevation, but it's like, what if you don't, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Well, I think that's very, there's the best way to find out is to try it. Yeah. Give it a shot. And ideally, and ideally your culture is one that supports that. I mean, I think actually when I went to Orbitz and became the CTO, one of the things I observed is like, you know, we would talk about people who I thought would be ready, you know, to take that leadership role. And uh, sometimes I'd hear, oh, we tried that two years ago. Didn't work out. And I'm like, well, that was two years ago. <laughs> Maybe they've learned something. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and it, it, it is funny how if you you know if you think about your corporate culture, I think sometimes companies have a really long memory for failure. Yeah. When you're like, let's assume people grow. Right. You know, give people more than one chance. If people try it and it turns out the first time they're not ready, it doesn't mean they won't be ready the next time. And so, so I, I all find that amusing about, about and, and I see this in companies where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, things are different now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I think it's all great stuff. I, I, I got to wrap this up, though. And uh, but I'd love to have you back on 
what a great conversation. And obviously, I love the humility. Uh, some point, I'm going to get you to brag about yourself. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to pull that off, but I'm going to get you to bang the drum for yourself somehow. Because I know you've accomplished so much. You're very successful. And everything, you know, you've got a great story. We're all really happy uh, that people like you exist here in Chicago and yeah. that you're out doing what you're doing. So uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Thank There's you. A lot of, a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening in Chicago. Definitely is. It's, a, it's, it's, I think 2021, I'm not exactly an optimist, but I'm not a pessimist. I also don't like realists. I think that's a baloney term. I just don't like it when people are like, I'm a realist. I'm like, ah, it's a pessimist with it. Just not afraid to, you know, have some <laughs> bravery and just say it. All right. So anyways, we won't get into that right now. All right. But again, I did want to say thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone uh, taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.